All right, so you can go ahead and start turning back to the book of Galatians. We're in week two of our study, Galatians, the gospel plus nothing. There it is. We're going to continue to study through that. When we talked last week, we talked about the idea of the authority of Scripture, how how the Word of God stands above everything else, and we don't need to add anything on top of the Word of God because the words in this book divinely given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit through men who wrote this book carries all the weight that it needs. It doesn't need extra stuff on top. Sure, we can write down our thoughts as we try to understand and, and, and better interpret the things that are in here, but, but all authority rests in these words. And we talked about how far the church you know, 400, 500 plus years ago, had wandered away from the idea that Scripture was the ultimate authority. The church had had lost sight of the fact that this book was good enough and had begun to add traditions and layers and all sorts of different religious practice on top of the gospel. And that it was beginning to change and and that there was this time where where a guy named Martin Luther began to kind of rediscover the truth of what the scripture was calling us to, how we were called to live, what we were called to do with it. And he found a lot in the book of Galatians as he was studying it that was very similar to the struggle that he was facing, where the church had begun to move away or become distracted by people who were coming into the church in the cities of Galatia, in the region of Galatia, and they were beginning to confuse the new church, the young believers, into thinking there were other things that they had to add on top of the gospel in order to please God, in order to be saved. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about how there's nothing other than this book that we need. The truth of the gospel is good enough. The truth of the gospel is is all that it takes, and we don't need extra layers. But the church also lost sight of who had the authority to speak the truth of Scripture. Who it was that carried the authority the same weight as as those who had written Gospels and those who had written Epistles that began to work their way into the canon of Scripture. Who it was that could speak. Was 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 it just the Apostles or was it anybody who came along and could say, I have a word from God or I have been given a particular authority. And the church had kind of fallen into this trap where... Specifically, the idea of papal authority, which is a fancy way of saying the guy in charge of the church, the Pope, could speak on behalf of God. And what he said could carry the same amount of weight as the words of Scripture. And that he was, he was infallible in his teaching when he would introduce things. I could make a snarky comment about how that's changed throughout the year, which really kind of undermines itself. But I'm not going to make that snarky comment. I'm just going to kind of let it lie there underlying you can pick up on it yourself. And Luther also just, just struggled with this same idea. And as he was rediscovering the truth in the book of Galatians, he saw that, that Paul spoke specifically to that idea. That it's not, that, that, that authority uh, level with the word of God does not come from any man. Does not come from somebody created by God, but rather the words that may come through him are inspired because God has given him those words, but the authority is ultimately with our creator the authority is ultimately with god no no man is needed to to kind of 
give words meaning. God is the only one that we need to give our words meaning. And so as Paul continued to give his testimony, and we're going to read a big section more of Paul's testimony here as he's kind of introducing himself again to the Galatians and talking about his story of how, how he was saved, how he came to faith, and how it is that he's beginning to practice his ministry. He's going to continue telling that story, but it, it kind of takes a different turn than what you would normally expect. You know, typically when we apply for a job, what's the first thing that we have to send in when we're going to apply for a job? A resume. What is the point of sending in a resume? To verify that these people on my resume will tell you that I know what I'm talking about and that I'm worthy of this position, right? So, so you would think that Paul, new believer, new minister of the gospel, would be ready to say, and here's my resume of all these really important spiritual guys who have signed off on me and said, I'm ready to deliver the message of, of the gospel. But instead, it takes kind of a different turn. So if you're in Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 11, and we're going to read through about halfway into chapter 2. We're just going to read this whole chunk together. It says in Galatians 1.11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They are only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they may, might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed influential, what they, may, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Though, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary... 
when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel, with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, I know that that was a mouthful. I know that there was a lot in there. But I want us to hear that whole story so we can kind of get this timeline in our mind so that as we begin to kind of get this picture of what it is that Paul's trying to say, we understand why it's so important. Because, yeah, it's like, okay, so he got saved, and then he went and hung out here for a little while, then he went and hung out here for a little while, then he went and hung out here for a little while. Why did all that matter? Why did any of that really affect any of Paul's ministry? Because, because Paul has, has a big point to make, and he made it right at the very beginning, right? Uh, for I would have you know that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. In verse 11, he says, it is not man's gospel. And that's, that to me, if there's a bigger point that, if there's a big point that I want you to go home with today, it's that the gospel, the word of God, the thing that, that redefines who we are and reconciles us back to our creator, all of that. None of that came from us. None of that came from man. None of that came from a mentor. None of that came from a scholar. None of that came from anything other than God. The story, the method, all of it, that's God's plan being worked out. And we have to understand that because that's going to define everything that we continue to study as we move on throughout Galatians. This idea that it's not something that we, the church, own. God owns the gospel and he gives it to us. And we are grateful for it. There's this, there's this little, like, independent film that's one of my favorites. It's called The Last Jedi. It's a small movie. You may not have heard of it. Now, this will be the most controversial thing that I say today. I will divide the room right now. The Last Jedi is probably my second favorite Star Wars movie. There I said it. Some people will be like, I can't listen to you anymore. And some people will be like, you are a genius. And to those of you, I say, thank you. You're right. No. But here's the point. Here's the point. In The Last Jedi, uh, I'm, Luke is training Ray. He says, I'm going to give you three lessons. But one of those lessons is this idea, because she's trying to understand the Force. And he says, he says, what do you think the Force is? She said, the Force is something that, that, a power that Jedi own, and it lets them control people and make things float. Right? And, what is, and his response is, that's amazing. Every single thing you just said is wrong. Because the point that he's trying to make is, in, in, that, in that world, the Force is not something owned by the Jedi. The Force is something that the Jedi come to understand and use, but the Force is not a thing to be possessed. The Force is just kind, it's kind of like gravity. It's just, it's just a thing that exists in that world. Not too different from the point that Paul's trying to make. He's, not, he's trying to say, the religious elite among us, those who have more spiritual maturity than us, don't own the gospel, don't control the message, don't get to choose how we live out our lives as believers. It's not their thing to own and choose and, and dictate to the church how it's supposed to be done. It is God's gospel, it is God's message. Now, here's the thing. It is a bunch of people who ended up giving us 
real true guidance on how it is that we are supposed to live out the Christian life. But all of these words were inspired by God, given to us by God, which is a point that Paul begins to make. Right? He doesn't say, so, so I got saved, and then I went and I, I studied under Peter for 20 years so that he could tell me everything that I needed to know. No, what's the point that he makes? He says, this was revealed to me by Jesus Christ. Right? He says, this was something that was given to me by Jesus. Now, here's the thing, and, I'm gonna, and I want to point this out to you. Because in verse 16, he says, was, replaced, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Does anybody else have like a little footnote marker there next to the word to? Does anybody else have that? I have like a little note. It's like, go down to the bottom and see what that means. So, so I'm going to read verses 15 and 16 again real quick. But when he who had set me apart before I was born... You hear what he's saying there? When he, Jesus, who had determined long before I existed that he was going to save me, he had determined that he was going to save me, was pleased to reveal his son to me. If you have a note, I have this note too. It says in Greek, that, could, that also is, should be translated as in. Revealed his son in me. This was a work that was happening inside of Paul by the power of God, not because Paul decided, I will, now, I will now follow Jesus, but because the Holy Spirit revealed himself in Paul. Like this was a work that happened inside of Paul and was, and was going to happen because God had determined that he was going to work that in Paul from, from ages past, before Paul even existed. Which means that, that God had been sovereign over everything in Paul's life. Now, why, why does that point matter? Because he just said right before, in verse 13, I persecuted the church violently. Like he was saying, I was a bad dude. I drug people off to jail. I separated families. I did whatever I had to do because I was so zealous. I was so eager to pursue Judaism in, as, in whatever way I could so that I, would, I could demonstrate just how in on the mission I really was. Right? Why does it matter that he gives such strong evidence for showing that he was so far from God right before saying that God was so sovereign in his life? Because he's making this point. Because what's, what's this biggest point? What's the big point he's trying to make? That this is not man's gospel. This is something that God has given to us and something that God is giving through Paul. Correct? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, I was so bad, and God let me be that bad. God, God was sovereign over my being that vile and evil toward his church so that he could demonstrate just how powerful the gospel is and so he could say that it was, there's, no re, there's no way that anyone would have understood that Paul would now be a minister of the gospel except for the fact that the grace of God had penetrated him and worked a miracle in his life. Right? John Piper put it this way. God let Paul become a murderer of his children so that it would be plain that his salvation was not his idea. Do you get what he's saying there? He's saying, God let this great evil take place through Paul to establish that Paul did nothing to save himself. To establish that this was a 
a miracle of God setting him up. And that, that any authority that he would have in, him, in himself would only be to say, look at just how far from God I am, or look at how much of an enemy of the church I am. That's what his resume says. But now he's saying, I am a minister of the gospel because God was pleased to reveal his son in me because he had decided to do so from before the beginning of time. This was God's plan all along, that these things would happen so that he could call me by his grace, because that was always the plan. And so, and so this is a key point that Paul is beginning to establish now, because he's going to add on to this for the rest of the book, that, that, that everything within us, everything within us that is good, everything that is true of the gospel that is alive in us is there because God has worked that out. Our salvation does not come from something within us that we muster, something that we must do, or some holy person or practice blessing us. We talked about it last week. It happens solely because of our faith in him. All the work was done by him. Everything else was accomplished through him. And so he has this revelation of Jesus. Jesus literally, like we said, he knocks him off his horse and reveals himself in him. Not just he said, hey, I'm Jesus. What are you going to do about that? He says, hey, I'm Jesus, and now my Holy Spirit's in you and we're working together. So he reveals himself in Paul. Then, in verse 17, this is where, this is where it gets weird, because normally you'd think, and, 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 and we tend to think this too, right? It's like, all right, now I have been welcomed into this this family, I'm going to go find the smartest person in the room and make sure I study under them. But that's not what Paul did. That's not what his calling took him, right? He waited years before he went to go meet with the apostles. He said, I did not go up, in verse 17, to Jerusalem to those who were apostles. He really emphasizes this idea that he did not get trained by established church leaders. And this will hurt all of us who have our who have our, like, seminary degrees. It's like, he didn't go do that. He just sat with the scripture and sat with God and, and al allowed God to work in him and train him. Instead, he went off and studied and just began to obey his calling. His calling was, go start taking the word of God to these people. He said, okay, God, let's go. And this is vital because the point that he's trying to make kind of in this whole section is that his words carry authority for them. His words carry the, the, the authority of scripture, not because an apostle signed off on it, but because God said, these are the words that I want to carry authority for my church. Paul's authority does not come from himself does not come from someone else saying this guy knows what he's talking about. Paul can have the authority to speak the words of scripture to us because God has given him those words. Even after he began his ministry, he even says it again in verse 22. I was he says I was still unknown. Like even after I went and met with Peter for like a few weeks and I went off to minister again for a long time, most of them didn't even know me. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know my story. So I don't want you to think that I'm still out there trying to make sure that they're signing off on everything that I'm doing. He's still not going to them for, their, for his authority. But what is it that he says at the very end of the chapter, in verse 24? 
Once they heard what I was doing, right? They said, they glorified God because of me. Word of Paul eventually made it back to the church. And what matters is not that they hadn't signed off, not that he was off on his own, but the fact that God was receiving glory because of the work that he was doing. The church was hearing of it, and they weren't, they weren't ashamed that somebody else was doing different work without consulting with them first. This is an important lesson that I learned several years ago. I mean, I'd say before we planted CRC. So this is, we're talking probably at least nine or ten years ago. Um, there had been a group of people who had split off from a church that we were going to and started their own church. And I had kind of gotten real, I'd, I'd held on a lot of like frustration with them because I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of the way that they had kind of departed. And I just, everything that they ever, you know, were doing, suggesting, whatever, that sort of, I was like, oh, they're doing that. And then like, and they were like successful and like their church was growing and that sort of thing. And I was, I don't like that. Things are working so good for them. It makes me so angry. And then one day we got invited to go to a baptism. I think it was, was it Tucker's football coach, right? Tucker's one season of football. You can ask him about that. I'm not going to tell those stories. Tucker went to Tucker's play football, and his football coach said, hey, I'm getting baptized. Would you guys like to come see it? We're going to be having our baptism at Wetlands. And they're having a party, and we're going to do some baptisms and stuff. And we're like, cool. And they're like, great, just tell them you're there with this church. And it was the church that I had been harboring all these, like, angry feelings toward for so long. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go. And we went, and you know what they were doing? They were baptizing people who had gotten saved as a part of their ministry. And I was like, wait, this is a good thing. We're all on the same team. We're all working for the same goal, that the gospel would reach out into the world and people would be saved and added to the body of Christ and then baptized. Like, exactly what is happening here is exactly what I should be wanting to see happen through the church. It, just doesn't, it doesn't have to just happen because of me or because I'm happy or I'm blessing somebody else's ministry. And I kind of had this realization that Paul's speaking to right now. They didn't sign off on me, but when they heard that God was working amazing things through me, they got excited about that. And that's a good thing. And that's something that sometimes we can get jealous of other people's ministry opportunities. Oh, wow, look at all the things they're doing. I wish I got that opportunity. Or, wow, look at how that's, that's working itself out. I wish I got that opportunity. And Paul's saying, they were giving God glory because I was being successful. Which, coming from Paul's perspective, sounds very Paul. He's like, they heard about me and they started giving God glory. I don't know. There's something about Paul. Paul always has this confidence, man, that I really relate to. But, man, I, I just, I, I love the, the, the whole point is that he's trying to say, they were realizing that even though we hadn't really met, I was doing things that were pleasing to God. And God was receiving glory. And ultimately, that was what mattered. That God was being glorified because of the work that we were doing, not because they had, had, had blessed us or anything. And so then what happens, by the time you get to the next chapter, he says, I eventually did go meet with them, right? Like, I did go see them. I did go sit down and spend a lot of time with them. But what is it, what, in verse 2, he says, he says, I went up 
this is chapter 2, verse 2. I went up because of a revelation set before them, um, the gospel I became to the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So, what is, what is going on here? What is it that Paul was saying? He's still taking the time to go check in and, and kind of touch base with the rest of the church. So is this where Paul is finally going to go and say, all right, I need you to make sure that what I'm saying is right. I don't think that's the point of what Paul's trying to say. I think here, Paul isn't, Paul isn't on defense here. He's not showing up and saying, am I doing this right? It's more, it more kind of reads in a way where Paul's showing up to say, I'm just making sure because I'm out doing this ministry and I'm teaching this truth. I'm making sure that you guys are on the same page as me. Like, again, very Paul. He's kind of on the offense here. I wanted to make sure that the work I was doing wasn't in vain because they were messing it up back in Jerusalem. So even still, he's not going and placing himself under the authority, but he's coming and approaching themselves as kind of a co-authority figure who can speak on behalf of Jesus because he's been called to that position of apostle to teach the church these truths and give us this infallible word inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Paul had already been calling himself an apostle before he ever went and met with Peter. He was like, I'm, I'm in. Like, Jesus has already given me this title. So he's not going and now seeking his blessing from the church. He's now going just to make sure we're all on the same page here. We're all working toward the same goal here. We're not, we're not fighting against each other. My, my work so hard isn't being undermined back here at home. And, and, he, and he said, and he found that for the most part they weren't, even though there were some who had been kind of sneaking in and were kind of meddling in the, the affairs of the church. Those are some of the people that we're going to start talking about as we move forward in the next couple of weeks. They were coming in and trying to, to add more layers on top of what it takes to be saved that Paul is so, so, you know, vigorously fighting against as he's writing to the Galatians. But what is it that he says? Verse 5, these people came in and they tried to add extra stuff on top, to, on top of it to us, but we did not yield to them in submission even for a moment. There were some religious elites who came in. And those religious leaders came in and said, you probably need to add this and this and this to make sure that your gospel is really complete, to make sure that you're really a follower of God the way that we think you ought to be. And Paul says, even though they came in, I didn't come here to get their blessing. I didn't come here to submit myself to their authority. So I didn't submit to their authority even for a second. And in the end, verse 6, those who seemed influential, right, which I love the aside that he kind of gives us, and from those who seem to be influential, parentheses, these are, this is great, parentheses, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Like, it doesn't matter that they seem influential. We're all the same to Jesus. It doesn't matter. But to those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing. Like, he's saying, we didn't cave. We didn't give in. We didn't try to buckle to just make them feel more comfortable. We didn't try to be a team player just for the sake of not... Um, ruffling feathers. He said, they came in, there were some, and these weren't, and, he, and I think it's important for us to realize, he's not saying that these were like the apostles. He's saying, these weren't guys from our team. There were some guys who kind of snuck in to try to spy us out and try, to, and try to mess things up a little bit. And this is where he's really starting to shift away from just saying, I want to establish why you should listen to me. And why you should listen to the words that I'm giving you. Because the, this book 
and the things that I'm teaching you are from God and carry authority. But he's beginning to shift to the struggle that, that the church is kind of beginning to be infiltrated by people who are adding on all these layers. The same things, like we said kind of at the beginning, that Luther was still starting to see when he was kind of rediscovering this truth that was found in the, in the heart of the gospel that the church had kind of gotten so far from and, and can still, and I would say does still continue to happen in the church today, right? This, this struggle of, of trying to, to guard the sacredness and the, the truth of the gospel against any outside influence, any temptation to kind of buckle to those who would say, but what about this and this and this as well? Paul didn't need to receive extra layers to his religious practice. Paul's words carried authority because the gospel comes through scripture and through the Holy Spirit that was working in him. And here's what's interesting. By the time you get down, so, so he's kind of checking in with the church, like making sure we're all on the same page. But in the end, just because they're on the same page didn't mean they stayed together, didn't mean that their ministries directly mirrored one another. Because by the time you get to verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars, perceived the, grace that, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, right? So they're, what are they saying? We're all on the same team. We're good. We're in good shape. This is, this is, this is healthy church life. We're, we're, we're excited that we're all on the same page. But then what is he saying? That we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Right? They had two different ministry focuses. There were two different directions that they were going to go. And I think that that's important for us to know because just because we as the church have all received the gospel, it does not mean that our actual ministry applications are always going to be exactly equal. We're going to be called in different directions. We're going to be called to minister to different people in different locations. We here at CRC are uniquely positioned to minister to this neighborhood that surrounds us and people that, that come and go and walk up and down the street and we get to meet all the time. And we love that God has specifically placed us here to be able to share the gospel in this way. And within that, he's, he's definitely built up particular callings for individuals to different populations or gifted us in different ways to love and serve different kinds of people that maybe if you were at a church a mile that way or, or five miles south or wherever you may be, your ministry may look super different. Your specific calling may be very different from what we do here and it may be very different from what the church literally like a block up there at the corner looks like. I don't like, I don't, but that's okay if our gospel is the same. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make. He's like, we were excited to shake hands and say, we are on the same page as far as the gospel goes. But I'm called to go minister to these people, and you're called to go minister to these people. And that's okay. It's okay for us. I mean, and I'm not saying you have to be here and like the same kinds of ministry that everybody else does. You can be here and be passionate. You could be passionate. I mean, I'm, gonna I'm trying to come up with something like really off the wall kind of ministry. Like, I'm really good at ministering to people who like to play golf. I would love to be really good at ministering to people who like to play golf, but I am atrocious at golf. So I have no reason to be ministering to people who are good at golf. But you may be that kind of person, and you're going to go play golf every day, and I'm very jealous, but you're going to go play golf every day and minister to people on the golf course. 
you can still be a part of CRC and that be your ministry outlet. Like, I'm not trying to say if you're here, you have to have the same ministry that we do. But there are going to be people here who are uniquely gifted in, in different ways that you may have never experienced before. And their ministry calling is different from what you've ever experienced before. And that's cool, too. I think we can all work together. And I think that's the point that what Paul is trying to say. We agreed that we believe the same things and that the authority comes from the same place. But we're going to go do these two different ministry things. I am not gifted to be a nursery worker. Not. You may be. Godspeed. I'm not. And then we just kind of get that reflected one last time. Last verse, verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor. Like the one piece of instruction that they gave Paul. They asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. <laughs> like, they didn't add anything new. They just said, make sure you remember the poor. And he's like, okay, guys, got that one. Like, like I'm excited about that, too. Again, they're in the same place, sharing the same gospel, concerned for the same people who need the gospel. It's just, again, confirmation. They are together on this. And so in the end, the, the whole first chapter of Galatians and the beginning here in, in chapter 2 really begin to be used by Paul to just establish the authority of where he's coming from. Just saying, I didn't get any of this because somebody gave it to me. Nobody has laid it down, laid it out for me and told me, this is the way you have to do ministry. I'm speaking to you on behalf of God, our creator, who has said, this is the way that I want my church to function. This is the way that I want to save people. And I want you to understand these things. He's establishing his authority because where he goes from here is where it starts to get a little bit more dicey for the people in the church of Galatia. And sometimes where it can become more dicey for us. Because he's saying, he's saying, all right, I'm building up to my authority. So can we all agree that we're on the same page about the gospel? Good. Can we all agree that the words that I'm trying to tell you carry authority and you should listen? Good. Now I get to tell you the hard stuff. That's essentially what Paul's built to up to this point. That's what we're going to now begin to get into. Because he's, gonna, he's built the case for the authority part. And now we're going we're gonna to move past the authority part. And we're going to move into some of the, the problems that people are struggling with and the things that they need to do to kind of accomplish being the church correctly. What was actually accomplished by Christ's work. And again, just because I want to kind of keep all of our kind of parallel timelines going at the same time, this is exactly where Luther was too, where he had begun to say, wait, we've, given, we've taken away the authority of Scripture as our only source of the Word of God. This idea, sola scriptura, like the scriptures alone, we've lost sight of that. And in fact, we've been giving too much power to one man who sits at the top of the church and saying that he serves as our mediator between us and God. And, and what he says is as powerful as the words of God. But instead, Luther began to make the point that the Pope himself was also under the authority of scripture. Not equal to it, not able to add on top of it, the Pope himself rested definitively under this book. And if we remain under the proper authority, as Paul has established to start this, that's when we're going to be more effectively able to work out our work as the Church of the Great Commission. That's when we're going to be able to be like, good, we all on the same page? All right, let's go to work. Wherever that may be, however that may be applied. And so, 
what are we supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to do with Paul's testimony? Well, first, I think it's important for us to recognize his, his biggest point, that he didn't get it because somebody blessed him and made him saved. There was no point where somebody said, congratulations, I have now made you a believer in Jesus. He said, none of that came from anybody else. None of that came from me. All of that came from God. All of that came by the power of God, working itself out in me. That's the first thing we have to realize. Why? One, because if we're not saved or if we're basing our salvation based on something that we've come up with inside of ourselves or something that we're mustering or something that we're, some action that we're taking or some, some, some kind of seeming holiness that we're able to present from within ourselves, that's not true salvation. And that's where Paul's going. I'm spoiling chapters like three and beyond. I don't care. That's where we're going. That we don't need to add anything on top. And in fact, if you do, you're probably not even in. So that's one. That, 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 that nothing that we muster can save us. Two. That it's vital that we as the church be on the same page with what the gospel is and the truth of the gospel and the calling that we have. Not the application, not like, not like where we take the Great Commission, but that we all are in agreement that the Great Commission is founded on that singular truth of the gospel that we need Jesus to save us and we can't do anything to do that on our own. Like we have to be in agreement on these foundational points about the scripture so that we then can go. So, so if, you are, if you are saved, I want you to hear about the good things that were being done by Paul and, be, and hear about the good things that God is doing through the church and give glory to God, right? Like that, that, that'd be a good place to start. Let's just be excited that God is at work. Let's be excited that God is doing things. But let's not see that God is doing things and become satisfied with that. Instead, let's say, let us also continue to go and take that gospel. Like when he says, they encouraged me not to forget the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. Like, let's be just as eager for the gospel as those who are out taking the gospel places. Let us, let us also be excited to join in and follow along in that way. Because here, here's the thing. I, I was praying with some people yesterday, and I prayed for this. Because COVID, right? It's hard to say, like, let's go do ministry with people. Let's go out, or let's go to somebody's house, or let's go gather, or let's bring people in. Like, it's, it, it's been hard. It's been hard to know what we can and should be doing as the church and how to continue to like live out this great commission. And one of the things that I prayed yesterday was that we'd get to use this thing again. Y'all might think it's a coffin that we just keep up here. We're like past old, like, like dead pastors. We just kind of keep them in there to kind of inspire us. As we, no, no, that's a baptistry. And I would love to fill that thing up with water and start dunking some people again. It's been far too long since we've gotten to dunk somebody in there. And it's, it's exciting to get to see somebody get baptized. And so we prayed about it yesterday. We want to start using this thing more again. But, and, and I don't know how it's always going to work because we're living in weird times. But there's no reason that, it, that, that, that God can't continue to save people and we can't figure out a socially distanced way to dunk somebody under some water. So I, I want to see this happening. I want to see this playing out. Be, but again, it's not going to happen just because we go, somebody get saved now. Like we don't get to muster it. 
but we're still responsible to like go out and start taking the gospel with us and be eager to do it, just like Paul was. Let's pray. So God, I pray that, that you would, again, make your gospel so alive within us as the church. The, the calling that we have as believers, the calling that we have as your people to go and take this truth wherever we may go. And God, I pray for, for those of us who are in here, if that's not you yet, if you haven't heard that, if that's not real, if you're still, or if you're still living based off of something that you have accomplished or something that somebody has once told you, you are, you are still getting by based on the faith of somebody else or something that somebody has told you about yourself. I pray that you would, you would see that the, the heart of the gospel is not, is not something that we muster within ourselves, but something that God reveals in us. And God, I pray that you would reveal your truth, your gospel, in us now. God, I pray that you would excite us for ministry, excite us for taking your word and going and loving and serving people. And God, I pray that you would save people and that we could fill this thing up with water and we could start baptizing people next week and every week after that. God, it's so encouraging to see Paul and Peter who have very different ministry styles, very different backgrounds, just completely different lives be able to come together, shake hands, and say, we are on the same team. Let's go do this thing. And God, I pray that that would be what you would inspire us to do, that we would just see that the church is unified, see the church be unified around the truth of your gospel, the, the scripture being our sole authority. And God, I pray that you would then take that, inspire us, and then make us affect the lives of people because of the work of your church, specifically the work of this local body right here at CRC. Use us in a powerful and mighty way. We thank you that you have already done all that it takes to see that accomplished because of the work of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing.